Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Great. Well, do turn with me to uh, Titus chapter 2, and especially we'll be looking at verses 11 to 15 tonight. Uh, I want to start by asking, how do you get control over your habits? You know, the things that you do, which you know you shouldn't, uh, you want to stop, and yet uh, you can't seem to. Uh, That could be any number of things, uh, whether it's an ungodly amount of shopping or gaming, uh, whether it's uh, drinking, uh, whatever it is, how do you change those things? What about something like pornography? How do you get self-control over porn? In 2007, uh, a man by the name of Ron de Haas was asking uh, that kind of question. How do I keep myself uh, pure online, Uh, especially when there's uh, there's so much temptation there? Uh, He he decided the thing that he needed was some kind of uh, accountability, And so uh, he started Covenant Eyes, this accountability software that you can put on your computer uh, that keeps track of how you use the internet. Is is that it? Is the answer computer software, just blocking that stuff? Is that how you tackle porn? Or is it better education? In 2009, a man by the name of Clay Olson Uh, was reading scientific studies about the damaging effect of pornography, how it uh, changes the brain and uh, the way that destroys relationships. And he was shocked, but uh, he found out that there was no one really talking about that. And so he started a not-for-profit organisation called Fight the New Drug, uh, with the aim of educating people with science-based research about the harm of pornography. Is that the answer? Is education the answer? Is the answer in community support? In 2011, uh, Alexander Rhodes uh, read an article about the benefits of stopping using pornography. Uh, But he went online and he couldn't find any community there that would uh, help him with that. So he started a subreddit for people who wanted to stop using porn. Uh, I don't know if you're into Reddits, Reddit is the thing, and then the subreddits. Uh, his uh, subreddit forum is the 247th most popular subreddit there is. Uh, that doesn't seem very impressive, but there are 340,000 subreddits. Uh, so all of a sudden you see that actually this drew lots of people uh, to this community, people who wanted to stop using pornography recognising the harm that it was doing, recognising their uh, need and desire to stop. 
Is that how you tackle it? How do you tackle porn? Is it uh, computer software? Is it the community of support around you? Is it education? Uh, Well, Titus 2 is going to help us uh, think about that question from a Christian perspective. How does God change our behaviour? How does God change us? Now, hang on a second. Why are we thinking about porn? Aren't there a thousand other ungodly things that we could focus on? Uh, The answer is yes. Uh, But I think porn is a good example. Have a look with me at uh, verses 1 to 10, the section we didn't get read, but kind of connects on to this part of uh, Titus. So Titus 2, 1 to 10. As uh, you go through, what's the thing that keeps coming up? It's self-control. Have a look. Verse 2. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled. Verse 4, talking to older women, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure. Verse 6, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. See, the problem in Crete was that they couldn't control those Uh, worldly desires, whether it was for wine or lust or gluttony, uh, all of that. And I think pornography is the headline act for lack of self-control in our culture. It applies uh, to men and women, single and married, uh, books or online. It destroys marriages and jobs and relationships. Here's a quote uh, from a book, Uh, called Captured by a Better Vision by Tim Chester. It's a book uh, aimed at helping Christians uh, address uh, pornography use, uh, to live porn-free. This is the quote. Uh, It was at university that things got much worse. I had my own room with a fast internet connection, so there was nothing to hold me back. That's a Christian man. Uh, Porn isn't just a self-control issue Uh, in our culture. It's a self-control issue in our churches for guys and girls. And so pornography is a powerful test case for us. How do we get self-control over porn? Because if we can answer that question, it'll help us answer all the other questions. How do we get self-control over greed? How do we get self-control over our tongues, our words? How does God establish that in us? Well, the message is right there in verses 11 and 12 of the section we had read. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, being the grace of God, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. See, that grace teaches godliness. Grace teaches godliness. Uh, But how does that work? How does grace teach godliness? Because I think it's the opposite of what we would naturally think. We naturally think that guilt teaches godliness. We feel like if we feel bad enough about the stuff we do that somehow will change and so we heap this guilt upon ourselves. We pour it on and we hold the shame in our hands like it's a hot coal and we think that actually that will change us. 
But it's actually the opposite. Guilt and shame trap you in a downward spiral. That's certainly true uh, for porn. Uh, The guilt and shame of uh, using porn uh, just makes you feel terrible about yourself. And so uh, that fades a little and then the temptation comes back and, and you go back to porn in order to feel good about yourself and on and on and the shame returns and down and down you go. And it's a destructive cycle. And that cycle is just as true for, for gossip and greed, uh, for secrets and shopping. Guilt can't teach godliness. But God doesn't use guilt, he uses grace. So how does that work? How does grace teach godliness? Well, uh, I want to say two things. Uh, Grace teaches godliness by what it shows us and by what it makes us. By what it shows us and by what it makes us. Firstly, grace teaches godliness by what it shows us. Uh, Paul says that the grace of God has appeared uh, there uh, in verse, where is it, verse 11? Verse 11, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. See, this grace is God's attitude, his attitude, his character of undeserved kindness towards people. And Paul says that it, it appeared, he's talking about uh, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The coming of Jesus was the ultimate display of God's love to a world that did not deserve it. The ultimate appearing of grace. And by that death and resurrection, he brought salvation. The grace that offers salvation. Okay, so grace offers salvation, but how does it teach godliness? How does the cross teach character? Well, by what it shows us. It shows us the great cost of sin and the great love of God. The great cost of sin and the great love of God. Have a look there in verse 14. Verse 14 describes how Jesus saves us. Uh, It says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. So you see the, the great cost of sin... Uh, We're stuck in wickedness. Uh, The idea of redeeming something comes from the world of slavery in the ancient world. Uh, If someone was a slave, uh, you could pay money and you could buy them out of slavery and set them free. And if you did that, you redeemed them. But we don't use that term very much anymore. We most often redeem things from shops uh, and it kind of robs the image of some of its power. Uh, like, my coffee is, is being held in slavery by the barista and it requires the extravagant cost of this coupon that I cut out from the newspaper in order to redeem it and set it free to be everything it could be uh, to me in the morning. So we miss some of the, the power of what has happened there. We were slaves to sin, enslaved by our own wickedness. And God sent Jesus, gave himself to redeem us from that. And so we see the great 
cost of sin. And we see the great love of God, that he was willing to send Jesus, that Jesus was willing to pay that price, to give his own life. God's grace at the cross shows us that great love of God to people who don't deserve it. And that is transformative. Uh, A friend of mine, uh, how do you say it, he... Uh, he w- was not a diligent driver. Um, I'll change his name for the uh, sake of his own character. Um, I was following him home one time, and we were both going in the same direction, and he turned in the other direction, kind of, he also had bad direction, and so it was going the complete opposite direction. I thought, ah, oh, I'll turn after him. I'll flash my lights. I'll get him to t- turn around. Could I get anywhere near him? No way. He just floored it caned it away, I'm flashing my lights, tooting my horn, he's completely oblivious, stereo turned up. Uh, In the end, I had to give up, I had to turn around. (laughs) I just had this old student Corolla, and so I couldn't catch him. And that's how he drove. And so when you drive like that, heads up, eventually you get a speeding fine. And sometimes, because they loved him, his parents uh, would pay the fine for him. And that had an impact on him because uh, he saw the, the cost of his actions and he saw that cost being uh, taken by people who didn't deserve it because they loved him. They bore that cost out of love and he was taught by grace. Grace shows us Uh, the great cost of sin, and the great love of God. So grace teaches godliness. Uh, Or more specifically, verse 12, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Worldly passions is a way of describing that wickedness that we were slaves to, things like pornography, Things like sexual immorality, greed, uh, those worldly passions to surround ourselves with stuff, whether it's clothes or toys, uh, things that pass away. But how can you go on chasing worldly passions when you've seen the great cost of sin that Jesus faced God's judgment because of exactly those things? And so experiencing God's grace is how you learn to say no to that. It teaches us to love Jesus who gave himself for us and to hate the things that Jesus paid for. And grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Uh, That word isn't so much about our character as it has to do with our regard for God. Grace gets rid of that indifference uh, that we have towards God. And isn't that true? Even in uh, Lindsay's testimony, you can see that come out in, in his life, that grasping Jesus as his mediator was what brought him alive, gave him a love for Jesus, a love for what God had done more than anything else. 
Grace does that. Grace gives to us a devotion, a love for a God who loved us first. So grace teaches godliness by what it shows us, that is, it shows us the great cost of sin and the great love of God. But grace also teaches godliness by what it makes us, by what it makes us. Uh, Have a look there in verse 14 again, but we're going to read the next bit. Uh, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Uh, Literally, it says to purify for himself a peculiar people, a peculiar people. Uh, It's the same uh, thing that happens to Israel uh, in the book of Exodus. Uh, What happens is that Israel are are slaves in Egypt and God redeems them out of Egypt, redeems them out of slavery, uh, rescues them through the Red Sea and he takes them to Mount Sinai and he says to them there, you are my holy people. You are a peculiar people, a holy nation. uses the same words there. And so Paul is saying that the same purpose applies to God's people now. That God's redemption is so they'll be different. They'll be a peculiar people, set aside, holy and for him. Sometimes Christians are peculiar just by personality. I'm not talking about that. Uh, I'm talking about holiness. Uh, being different in our character, in the way we are. And it's peculiar to be self-controlled. That's, that's peculiar. If you choose sexual purity as a single person, that will be peculiar in our culture. If you uh, avoid alcohol, don't get tipsy, because actually you're a person of self-control. That will be peculiar. But if you're a Christian, then that's who you are. That's who you are. People are bought by God, redeemed to be his very own. Uh, I was shopping once and I passed Roger David and former uni churcher, Cale Kenrick, was working there and I jumped in and he helped me to buy a suit. And uh, that suit had a purpose. I needed a wedding suit. Uh, So it's a peculiar suit. It's not actually peculiar, it's not floral. Uh, It's just special. And I only wear it at weddings. And it has a special job to do. It's to make me look good at weddings. (laughs) And so I don't wear it gardening. I never have, I won't wear it gardening. Uh, That's not the purpose for which I bought it. I redeemed it to look good. (laughs) And so God redeems us to be his, to be his special people, eager to do what is good. A special people set aside for a special purpose. Not to indulge in worldly passions or ungodliness. So grace teaches godliness by what it makes us. 
What have we seen so far? Uh, the appearing of grace teaches godliness by what it shows us and by what it makes us. But did you notice in the passage there's actually two appearings? Uh, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared. And verse 13, uh, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Paul tells Titus and the Christians on Crete to look ahead uh, to the appearing of glory. Uh, That word there, appearing, has a sense of unveiling something that has always been there. Uh, The way that uh, the, the sun appears from behind clouds. It's always there, but the clouds part and you finally see it. Uh, or the kind of thing, the way that you might describe an enemy ambush. They're always waiting there, but when they jump out, uh, that is their appearing. And the same is true for Jesus. The risen Jesus is right now the glorious King and Saviour of everything. And one day, his glory will be revealed. He will appear. And so for people who belong to Jesus, that will be a day of glory too. Verse 13 describes it as waiting for the blessed hope. That's talking about our hope, uh, the hope of uh, entering into eternal life with our glorious Saviour, the blessings of that. And so right now we live between those two appearings, between the appearing of grace and the appearing of glory. And both of those things are what enable us to live a godly life now. Grace teaches godliness and glory spurs it on. We look back and we see God's love and redemption, uh, what he has done for us and what he's made us. And we look forward and see what we will be when Jesus' glory is revealed. And so now we're in the middle, verse 12. We live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait. While we wait. Spurred on by that uh, glory that is to come. This is what John Piper says about beating lust for the Christian. He says, The fire of lust's pleasures must be fought with the fire of God's pleasures. If we try and fight the fire of lust with prohibitions and threats alone, even the terrible warnings of Jesus, we will fail. We must fight it with the massive promise of superior happiness. We must fight it with the massive promise of superior happiness. He's saying we need to focus in on that blessed hope Right now, while we wait, to focus on that blessed hope. Grace teaches godliness and glory spurs it on. So if you want to stop using porn, if you want to get control over your tongue, whatever it is, you need those two things. You need grace and glory. You need to do spiritually what is impossible physically. That is, look backwards and forwards at the same time. Have both of those things in mind. Look backwards and see the cross, the great cost of sin and the great love of God shown there. And you'll need to see that because otherwise you're sunk. 
Otherwise, you'll think it's up to you and you'll be caught in a cycle of pride or despair, of shame and then escape from shame. But grace breaks that cycle. Grace breaks that cycle because it means that you're loved. It means that you are worth something, that Jesus gave his life. And it means that you have a special purpose set aside to be holy, upright, self-controlled. You'll need to look back and you'll need to look forward to the appearing of Jesus' glory to see what one day you will be so that you can start to live up to that now. Now, uh, we've spoken a bit about pornography and that's not all there is to say about uh, porn and uh, beating it. Uh, There's much wisdom in those other things that we mentioned at the start as well, in having a community around you, in using uh, computer software. Uh, All of those things are very helpful. If that's something that you have struggled with or you would like to talk uh, more about that, uh, feel free to contact me in any way. Uh, Contact Ez as well. Uh, We'd love to uh, help you with that, uh, talk you through it. But I hope you can see that all of those other things, education, the community, computer software, those things are just barricades, right? That's not going to change the heart. God has a radical plan for transforming us to be his people, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And his radical plan is his grace. To love people who don't deserve it. To send Jesus to give himself up for us. To make us his. That is how he affects change in his people. So I want to ask you, what are you going to use? Or what are you using to teach yourself godliness? What are you currently using uh, to give yourself self-control and and say no to things? Are you using that cycle of, of guilt and shame, hoping that if you just feel bad enough, you'll stop? Is your behaviour driven by uh, what other people around think of you? Is that the thing that really uh, motivates you to change? I think it would be really worthwhile digging into that this week, thinking, what is it that I'm using to drive my change? And then ask God to help you to focus in on his grace and glory as the two things that he's given to us, to transform us from the inside out.